0: To me, the title keeps people from saying no to you. And you've got to kind of pull that out, unpack that. And I think it's yes. really important for leaders to be aware of that. You know, we can call it psychological safety or mm-hmm. I just like calling it, you know, what other people call it in the research literature, voice, having a voice. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes the least experienced is the ones whose voice you ought to be listening to. Oh. And, and, you know, in your business, it saves lives, protects people on all sides. I think it's really critical. And every command and control system I work with, whether it's police, military, and fire services, and, and FEMA, yeah. and other agencies I've yeah. been involved with, every single one of them, command and control can diminish the no people's voice. The First
1: Responder Liaison Network is proud to present to you the Kitchen Table Podcast. Our guests come
0: share their stories, their perspectives, and their message, talking all things leadership.
1: Now, here's your host, Berlin Mazza. Good afternoon, and welcome, everybody, to The Kitchen Table. The Kitchen Table is brought to you by the First Responder Liaison Network. The network is organized for the development, implementation, and ongoing support of mentorship and professional development programs, inspiring our youth and young adults to mature into engaged civic leaders and resilient community sentinels. Music and graphics are brought to you by Kai Elephant Productions. And today we're hosting the second part in this two-part series talking leadership from the academic, business, and strategic perspectives with Dr. Bruce Avolio. Dr. Bruce Avolio is the Mark Piggott Chair in Business Strategic Leadership within the Foster School of Business at the University of Washington. In the Foster School, he also serves as the executive director for the Center for Leadership and Strategic Thinking. He is recognized as being among the top 70 most highly cited researchers in the United States in economics and business, and among the top 3,000 among all sciences around the globe. Bruce has published 12 books and numerous articles on leadership models and methods. He has consulted with hundreds of organizations around the globe in Europe, Asia, Africa, South America, Latin America, and the Middle East, in the design and delivery of leadership assessment and development systems. Based on a recently completed Stanford University study published in the Journal of PLOS, PLOS, Biology, out of 6,880,000 scientists who have published at least five papers in any of the 22 major disciplines, ranging from biology to engineering to economics to management Bruce's research record was rated in the top 1% of the most cited scientific researchers overall, and number 25 among the 36,000 researchers in the category of business and management. Science is the shadow of leadership practice. Good afternoon, Bruce. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Kitchen Table. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for inviting me in. I'm looking forward uh, to our conversation.
1: Thank you as uh as do I. and um, we had uh, Christina on the show a few weeks back, and this is this really is a, a privilege and honor to really widen, if you will, the uh, leadership conversation. We started early on, as you know, inviting fire service leaders in, and we've got tons of perspective there. and as you know, leadership is neither confined to any one industry, and the more perspectives you invite in, I think we can continue to grow all of our services and industries. But uh, before we get going, would you um, mind to share a little bit about uh, Dr. Bruce Avolio? Absolutely.
0: Um, I will have to say full disclosure, I've been stalking you for a while because I've been listening to your podcast.
1: (laughs) Supporter, (laughs) Uh, I love it.
0: Yeah, you you've got me through a couple of good workouts at the gym. So thank you for all of that. (laughs) I've really really enjoyed uh, the opportunity. listen. I think you're you and Bill who uh, started this uh, I'm just so delighted when I, I found out you were doing this. And so kudos to you. I think it's so important to get this kind of information out to these folks that are on the front line. Uh, so uh, thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, um, I mean, just real briefly uh, I started, you know, I tell people I was born in the shadow of Yankee stadium in New York mm. and it was a long shadow because it was in Queens, not the Bronx. But, yeah. nevertheless, I'll take credit for 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 being close to that place. <laughs> and uh, uh, my family, um, uh, many of my family members are still around the New York City area and or they're in Florida. <laughs> you know, either, either way, but most of New Yorkers stay in New York. And uh, I lived there until about 18. And then I went to college in upstate New York as part of the SUNY system, State University of New York and uh enjoyed four years there Uh, maybe more than i should have but i really had a great time and um i always tell people when they ask me about my career like how did you decide to go to graduate school and i said oh you meet this girl named holly she breaks up with you in college at the uh third year and you have no place to go but west so i headed Mm -hmm. west to ohio and i uh ended up in akron ohio and most people don't know uh, that's one of the best industrial psychology programs, which is what is hmm. part of my degree, um, because a lot of the industry is, is and was in the mid- Midwest. So I went to school there for five years, um, got my Ph.D. in lifespan psychology and industrial, which means I study how people kind of change over time. And I'm going to throw in leadership into that. And then also um, how organizations change, which is kind of my interest and has been my interest for a number of years did meet my wife Beth in the back row of a clinical psychology class Mm. to sleep with a clinician um and we've been married ever (laughs) since uh, graduate school uh nice having your own local therapist that's
1: right (laughs) it's a lot cheaper yeah (laughs) well I don't know about (laughs) okay never mind
0: (laughs) I'll send you some bills yeah Um,
1: yeah yeah, true (laughs) um
0: and we came back to New York, not meaning to, but we came back from Ohio, and I lived in Binghamton, New York, upstate, um, not New York City or that urban area, but very rural, a lot of dairy cows and, and uh, Catskill Mountains and stuff like that, really beautiful. I stayed there for 19 years at SUNY Binghamton, where we really began the movement around transformational leadership, which is just mm-hmm. part of the reason why those citations are there, is all the great people I've worked with, um, and we. We, you know, we kind of discovered some things that became the foundational basis for a lot of positive forms of leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, after after that, um, I ended up in Nebraska. I went to a con- My my career has been serendipity, like you know, break up, go to college, get grad school, and then um, someone came up to me at a conference and said. Hey, I want to talk to you about your research on leadership. And then he said, would you take a walk with me? And I found myself ending up in Lincoln, Nebraska mm. and spent seven to eight years there with Don Clifton, who was the former Gallup uh, CEO. I actually owned the guy. He bought Gallup from Gallup, um, the uh, Dr. Gallup. And we learned a lot together. Uh, I was there for about eight years. He passed away, uh, probably my fourth or fifth year in. And, uh, Ironically, that my first day on the job there was 9/11. Um, I literally walked into wow. the student union to get my end card, you know, and uh, for Nebraska, or they say in, in Nebraska for knowledge, you know, right. the knowledge. <laughs> so, um, and I went, you know, and I, I spent that day there, and the next eight years, and I go back there and we have very deep friendships, and I always say this country kind of pivots on the balance of the middle, um, mm. and had an opportunity to come out here uh and talked to my family a lot about it they didn't want to go to nebraska then they didn't want to leave nebraska <laughs> and then we ended up coming out and we have our, our kids right now one's in san diego home for the holiday nice. sydney and my son jake uh jacob he uh, goes by uh lives on a, a sailboat at south lake union what a deal wow uh it's Seattle, and uh he's really working hard on it and has earned it uh and then i have a uh, my oldest daughter is in portland so we got them all out here so yeah I don't think they're gonna let us move anywhere else
1: yeah probably not probably not anymore
0: yeah wow. so anyway, that's kind of the story and yeah I, the, the roots of it was i was very fortunate to go to this industrial psychology program because there was a guy there who was a lifespan psychologist i never remember the first day i walked in and he asked us a question. He said, do you think all of your grandparents grew up the same way and get old the same way? And most people said, yeah, I you do know, people get old. And, you know, things mm-hmm. happen. Uh, he said, people are more different, the older they get. Some can run a marathon at 95 years old. I, I God, there was a guy in London that did yeah. that. And he complained about his time. Wow. 95 yeah Um, and some others are in a wheelchair and they can't you know so people age very differently and it triggered something in me a a moment that i have thought about uh how different people are and can be as they evolve through their life some become disenchanted cynical some remain highly positive and everything in between yes it's kind of guided my thinking about leadership development that we'll get into.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. You said uh, quite a bit transformational evolving. And so we'll uh, dive into that, but I got to pause for a moment because you said Nebraska, Christina yes. Miami, and you guys are now UW. Wow. Talk about the powerhouses of decades ago in college football. And uh it looks like you're bringing it all. You're bringing all that, uh, that aura here as we get into the college football playoff. Um, yeah. So that is super duper exciting. So First of all, prediction for UW, or how about this prediction for the college football playoff, as we also talk very briefly about that game on Monday night that uh, was arguably one of the best endings to a Seahawks football game in a long time.
0: Yeah, you know, um, I have not met Coach DeBoer. I met a lot of people there um, already, some people who have selected a lot of these amazing athletes, by the way. One by the name of his name is Courtney, who's done a lot of that work, and uh, met him through a friend of mine. Um, I did uh, know Chris Peterson. Actually, Chris uh, hosted right. the fire, uh, uh, Firefighters. Uh, we called the uh, Santa Fire Department Executive Leadership Academy a few years back. when Chris was the football coach. And yeah. I've been talking to some of the senior leadership there, which right now it's hard to talk to them because they're pretty focused on a national yes. championship. Yes. But we're, we're looking for ways. You know, business school does a lot of things with it. A lot of athletes want to get into our business minor, entrepreneurship. So there's some terrific relationships forming. Uh, and I'm looking forward. Coach uh, DePoor, DeBoer uh, uh, told Christina he would like to uh, host us with the Seattle Fire Department Academy. So I'm looking forward to meeting him when all settles in yes. and won the national championship. Yes. when. And That's right, the national championship occurs, could Michigan be in it? I think Michigan could be in it, right, with us.
1: They can. They can. And,
0: um This goes back to my Nebraska uh, time. Don Rude lived down the block from us. Everyone else had an N flag flying. Go big red. He had had blue. He had Michigan. So I went back a couple months ago, and Don and and his wife and my wife and our friends, we all went to a Nebraska game. And it wasn't too good for Nebraska. And I told Don (laughs) what they did was completely unfair. He said, what are you talking about? We had a great game. I said, no, you brought all you good players. I mean, that was terrible, you know, and they had <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> to <that's- laughs> I mean, do that unfair- next time. <laughs> it's unfair to bring most- all those. Yeah. Players.
1: You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, but he um,
0: I- 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 I'm hoping that's the matchup because I'd love to for us to sit together. Nice. again. He's in yeah. Illinois now.
1: Um, okay. Uh,
0: so um, I don't know about predictions, you know, I, I think that, that this game, the game that they're coming up and the game after that, which I think they'll be in,
1: yeah. it's in their
0: hands. And yeah. I think they have all the capabilities to do it. And frankly, they just so much, I don't know what it is about here, but this whole collective spirit and the sense of, of humility that you see with a lot of the players, particularly Penix. Yes. He's a big guy too. I saw him down on the field because I was helping recruit a four-star candidate. Because he wanted to come to the to nice. the Dub, uh, <laughs> and um, that was quite an experience. Seeing you know, just to, you know, engaging yeah. with him, and what a wonderful family, and and getting yeah. to know, uh, and how we can light up that stadium at night. Boy, does it have a great oh, sense. Yeah, wow,
1: that's amazing. So we, yeah. had,
0: we had a lot of fun, uh, uh, kind of do learning a lot about that and connecting to that. But yeah. my my prediction is if Michigan and and uh, UW play together. It's going to be one heck of a game. Yes, it will. Be, I think it'll be down to the last seconds. Yeah, it'll well,
1: be, that'll be yeah. amazing. And, just uh, like Monday night. Just like Monday night. Just like Monday yeah. night. Yes, that yeah. was uh, – wow. Talk about – I,
0: I think we're seeing the future of the team because yeah. some of these new players are starting to come into yes. their –
1: Totally agree. – holes
0: now. And I think that you – and know, we've got so many great players on the team. Once they get it all s- stitched together
1: yeah. – yeah. Well
0: no, the whole thing is every week how who, how many injuries do you I, have? Exactly.
1: Now that's the injuries and we're young anyway. So you, right. you right. lose any veterans that you do have on you lose them off the field. And it's like yep. you have a, a team that's not gonna operate very well. But yeah, so good luck. Uh you know, Seahawks seven and seven, you know, still fighting for a spot and good luck, Huskies, in uh, less than two weeks' time, and that's gonna be this is gonna be an exciting start sure. to the year, end of the year and start to the year. So all right. Well, why don't we just dive right into this? So uh, first of all, you wrote many books. You're an accomplished writer and author. Are there any books that you, you know, most accomplished book that you'd like to share with us? I'm a, I'm a huge reader. So I want to, I want to dive into something that you've written. Is there something out there that uh, we can dive into that you recommend? Of Any
0: book or of, uh, of, uh,
1: of, of, of Dr. Bruce Avolio's books or, or Bruce, articles. Yeah. Dr. Bruce
0: Avolio's book.
1: Um, yeah. There was one,
0: one book I wrote, um, I, I, generally, I, I work with people on almost everything I do. I rarely have ever done anything alone in life, family, and, yeah. and work. And and I believe that things are better when we work together. Oh, and it doesn't sounds like a catchphrase, but the truth is, science is much better when you work together. In fact, you might have somebody who's prominent in science. You know, my name pops up, but it's hundreds of people that have worked with me on yeah. things. Yeah, and and so I think you know it's it, it it's a collective that makes things better, and it's a collective that is willing to tell the most prominent people no. Yes, I'll tell you what I mean by that. So I was sitting around one day, and I had this um, supervisor, and he never really wanted to hear no. He said, "I don't know what to do with no," and. I said, well, what about when someone tells you not to do something as a leader and at the least senior, most junior, inexperienced? He goes, I want that no. Hmm. And he made a distinction there that, you know, that when people say no to a leader, it oftentimes means don't go to the cliff, stop, think about this. Hmm. And, you know, my first um, week here, I went to a dinner. When Washington Mutual, the largest bank history failure in the history of banking at that time, crashed and was gone. You know, and people said no to Kerry Killinger. No, this is this subprime stuff is not gonna be good. And you know, sometimes people in those roles don't listen. And you know, maybe they're right sometimes. He was not right this time, right. clearly. And so I, th- I thought about this and the guy I mentioned that I worked with and I thought, I'm just going to write a little book for myself. And I called it the no people. Okay. And you know, the front cover of it is these people climbing up this nondescript mountain. It's kind of a shadowy thing and they're coming right up to the top of it, but not necessarily going over. Yeah. And I think in fire services, having a lot of no people around you, no people, no, N-O, no, K-N-O-W, a lot of things that you may not know, you know, situational awareness, expertise, something they learned from someone else. And I'm constantly reminded of that when I'm with, around, I'm with people who think that because my name is the name that often ends up more prominently on things, that I'm the one who knows it. And I always try to make sure that that we challenge that and it's hard to do, you know, in different cultures, people are very hesitant to challenge people who are of higher quote unquote mm-hmm. stature, you know, in terms of credentials, I do. things
1: I like do. that. Yes. Uh,
0: I think it's really important. I think we, we it's one of the things we challenge in fire services. Um, I remember the first workshop we had yes. uh, when I called Harold, when I called Chief Scoggins, Harold, Everybody looked at me like the 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 roof had just collapsed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and, and uh, Chuck, Chief Scoggins deserves that title. Um, I mean, I, I'm uh, uh, i have a man crush on Chief Scoggins.
1: Yes, Chief Scoggins. I yes. Mean, yes,
0: I just he, I just really have loved working with him in the last five years and uh, learning from him. And I have no problem calling him Chief. I I, I tend to have a problem with authority. I always have.
1: That's how I got into leadership. <laughs> <laughs> got as much as I can. Yeah. So it gets me in trouble too. <laughs> but not, yeah. Well,
0: we're, we should start our own little uh, group here. All right. Yeah, <laughs> peer group. But you know, you know, for people like that, I don't mind. I mean, I I, I actually take a lot of pride saying I work with Chief Scoggins. At yeah. the South Yeah. You because know? that's the kind of person he is. And I've met, I've met a number of people there. I would say that about, but to me, the title keeps people from saying no to you and you've got to kind of pull that and unpack that. And I think it's yes. really important for leaders to be aware of that, you know, we can call it psychological safety or I mm-hmm. just like calling it, you know, what other people call it in the research literature voice, having a voice. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes the least experienced is the ones whose voice you ought to be listening to. Oh. And, and you know, in your business, it saves lives, protects people on all sides I think it's really critical, and every command and control system I work with, whether it's police, military, and fire services, and and FEMA, and other agencies I've been involved with, every single one of them. Command control can diminish the no people's voice.
1: Well, let me lean on that real quick. Uh, Bruce, if I may. I wrote down like a hundred mm-hmm. things, but I can only go into one right now. Um, because I actually wrote that down. I wanted to start with that in terms of um that you you referenced it exactly. What I got written down right here is that first day of class you had mentioned um that you you encouraged us to not use rank. You encouraged right. us as peers and colleagues in that classroom to just call us each other by, by first name. Um, and you said something super important, whether you talk about, you know, whether it be inclusion, whether it be psychological safety, which we've talked about a couple times on the show. And in fact, uh, Christina talked about it is there is an element of people either shutting down or not speaking up if there's a lot of rank in the room. Right. So I guess my question to you is in terms of the, the research or the data or the psychological aspect of things, when you take out rank, is it, it it's proven if you will, that people have more voice people will speak up more people will be willing to bring more ideas to the table when rank is taken out or when they don't know that there's more rank in the room is that a is that a thing is that you know is it shown
0: it it is but it's not you know it is but it's not that simple right Um, sure you know that uh, rank is one element
1: one element yes
0: you know and some people may not respect rank so they're like I don't care you know revolutionaries (laughs) don't and they question the rank of the king the queen the the emperor and so forth, um, but it, it, there is evidence certainly that rank or status can inhibit people's mm. willingness to enact their voice. See, their voices—they they have a voice. Yeah. The question is, do they enact it? Yeah. And there there are mechanisms that kind of um, precede whether people enact or not. So people know something. But then they have to enact it. So, what else can affect that? Being one woman in a group of twenty um, other officers, being called by you know, say one Marine. You know, well, you're you're a female Marine, which you know, Marines are Marines. The, Mar- the Marines don't retire, right? If they don't retire. You're always a Marine. That's part of the institutionalization identity. And when you say to someone you're a female Marine, you're actually saying you're. You're good, but you're not, yeah. you're not the same as a, as a marine. gonna are it a male marine. So it's little things like that that signal to people that maybe your voice isn't. Or your uh, language is a second language and English is second. So you're processing it and you're listening to what's going on. And someone in the group is talking very fast and using idioms. Hey, home run, that's a great idea, blah, blah, blah. People what's home run? I don't even know what that is. Yes. from other cultures and what happens is they don't enact the voice because you don't recognize they're still filling in the last thing you said right and now you're moving on to something else so even it's not necessarily it is status because you're english so you're number one yeah everyone in the group speaking english except me yeah i can speak it but i need to process it and it's very subtle things, and I, yeah, so. I'm sure you probably experience a lot when you go out to the community because you're you're mixing with so many different cultures and languages, and so I think there's a lot of things. But the evidence is, it doesn't it doesn't hurt ever to have voice, only in situations where time is of the essence. Yeah, I agree. Too many voices. That's why we have incident commanders, right? Someone's got to decide. But I think we over, you know, we overdo that in other situations where it doesn't matter. It's not that timely. It's
1: not that important. You said something very important. I mean, there's something, there's discretionary time. Like you said, like on incident fire ground, yes, absolutely hierarchy and the command system is important, right? Like you got to report to the chief or the captain to take orders to go take care of the business. But the discretionary time, like back at the station, for example, when you're collaborating ideas, when you're doing a training event, when you're trying to learn you right. know, if we have the ability to limit the amount of the ability for people to, to kind of come to the table, show up when, when right. it did get rid of rank, because we're just here collaborating ideas and here to talk. And, um, but obviously understanding that discretionary difference between, <laughs> you know, you're on a fire ground. Yes. Taking orders and the hierarchy is absolute. You need that it's there for a reason, but understanding that there's a time where, Hey, if you can get rid of that, because it allows people to show up better or more, that's, that's, what can we do to do that? And maybe this is kind of what it is: is hey, I'm 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 Berlin here, and we're just here to, to train and have fun and learn, and yeah. that can have create people to have more voice. Um, you said something in, in one of our classes the other day, and I actually wrote it down. It's actually in my phone, and it's um it's it's it's, it's just a reminder to me. You you had, it's a study at Berkeley, and I think you might know what I'm talking about. You had mentioned uh, when we're talking about voice, we're talking about voices right now. Um, you had mentioned like in, in 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 like in a meeting, for example, or in a training event. Sometimes uh, a male, for example, would be inclined to speak out to an answer right away um, yeah. and what that does, uh, you know, to a possibly a, a, like a female voice. And what I wrote down is wait 15 seconds. I think he said something about 10, 15 seconds before you respond. I wrote that down. I re- literally did because I actively proactively try to do that. in when I'm sitting in meetings and stuff, can you talk about that study at Berkeley and what that showed? Because I think that's important when we're talking about showing up and responding and collaborating ideas. Yeah.
0: You know, in most cultures, most societies throughout history, there are there are matriarchal societies um, in Africa, other parts of the world, but in those societies where uh, masculine kind of ruled um, from an authoritative authority, not authoritative necessarily, authority point of view, uh, authority being like knowledge and authority like a rank, um, those people tend to speak up first and. At Berkeley, they found like, you know, for an MBA class, for example, um, a disproportionate number of women wouldn't speak up, Um, and the the males kind of jump in. Like, you know, it's almost like, and it's going to sound a little uh, uh, snarky, but I am a male, so uh, males are talking and then they're thinking. Mm -hmm. So they start up talking, like I want to get into the game. And then they start, you know, building their thoughts and so forth. And other, you know, um, and it might be just the way evolution has you know, gotten us here, that generally women tend to spend more time formulating and then presenting. And it might be just because of what's happened over evolution or status differences or perceived status differences. I think it's changing, though. Yeah. I think the more... Women are a larger minority in the class, meaning, you know, instead of being two people, there are 20 people. Yes. Like in my MBA class in the, in the winter quarter, it'll be that case. More women. Yep. Um, it, it may be changing. I think the more women have gone through STEM classes and programs, the more they are comfortable jumping in more quickly. Um, they even talk weird like men do now. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, right. You know, it's very interesting looking at tech, tech women and tech men. Um, I, I feel like there's been a change in, in sort of the discourse and, and so forth. So I think that um, there's more of that happening. Yeah. But uh, there was a faculty member that said, well, if I just delayed five seconds, I said, look, I want you. He didn't say like, oh, man, you got to shut up. He just mm-hmm. said, look, let's just delay. I want to I want you all to practice a little like in the moment reflection. Take five seconds and before you respond. And uh, he tried it in one class, another class, he did he didn't do anything different. He had a TA that was kind of keeping track of things. And he found that when there was a five second delay, there was much more inclusion of women yep. in the conversation. Yeah. So we're we're kind of so nuanced. Like you think five seconds, right? What does that matter? Right. Right. But, like, we talk pretty quickly. I mean, I'm from the East Coast, so I'm talking quickly. I don't know where you're from, but you're, you're, you're a fast talker, too. I'm,
1: I'm, I'm told I talk way too fast. Okay, so you talk.
0: I When I'm doing simultaneous translation, people are like, oh, man. Yes. You know, it's very hard to keep up that way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you just pause a little bit, you can you find that people who are trying to translate what you're saying, they have a, a more equal shot yes. you know, of contributing. Yes. Um the same is true like in, in some groups I've worked with, when they do an evaluation, they'll they'll do reverse status. They'll say, Let's have uh the, the person who is the the least tenured uh provide their perspective. And by doing that, they don't just go, Well, you know, I, I agree with Bruce. You know, Bruce's been yes, doing this for years. Exactly. So so we try to reverse that. Yeah. It's little things like that that enable voice. Yeah. It also building a relationship where and, people trust that you're really interested in what they have to say. You matter. You yes.
1: matter. You're totally right. Like so often, and I'll speak just for myself. Right? I'm not going to speak for everyone else here. Like in conversation, like I, I do want to, you know, offer my suggestion or my option. But but what I don't know is how many other people also wanted to, but they didn't. They didn't get to because I spoke up too fast or time ran out. Because yeah. I offered my opinion, and like say four other people in the room, also that's kind of like me that likes to speak up, you spoke their voice, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But also, yeah. w- what we're not knowing is the indirect effect it's having on others that did not get the chance to speak that might have had great ideas, maybe even better ideas right. at times. So that's 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 I love that, and it creates a climate. Yes, right? it, it does. creates
0: a climate once it, once it becomes a cadence and a climate. Then when new people come in, they they can observe this and they'll just you know be. They'll be quiet, you know, yeah. and, you know, yeah. in our, in our program, you know, we, and we're going to stress this more, you know, we said, you know what, you can go a long way with, instead of making a, a statement, ask a question. And when you ask a question, that actually is almost like a pause. Let let me stop. Can I ask this question of you? Tell me about um, yeah. the way, different ways you look at leadership as a consequence of these podcasts you've yeah. done.
1: Yeah. And
0: now I'm stopping talking and I'll give you a chance and that signals to other people, oh, you know, that 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 guy is really looking at inquire. He wants to inquire versus be explicit about saying something. It's little things like that that really shift the, the 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 whole tenor of the climate. And it's really important where it's dangerous. Yes. Like when we're building big complex things like planes, and someone has an inkling that there's something not quite right about the systems in the plane. If they don't say something, then all sorts of things cascade, right? Yes, of course. Because they are afraid to say something. Uh they're, you know, if you my 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 perspective, and may be controversial, if you have to have a whistleblower program, you probably have a cultural problem. Mm. That's, I mean, uh, I'm not being an idealist here. You know, yes. if you've got to protect people to tell you what they think, you got a problem that wow. you are potentially putting things at risk, whether it's financial, whether yep. it's physical, um, whether it's any other any other kind of thing
1: that can yeah. happen. No, I mean, and, and, and what you said, too, is also it, it, it's directly relevant to the fire service, right? So let's say responding to a call, right? right? Like everyone has a different vantage point or perspective, but depending on what they're doing or where they're standing or what they're hearing and someone like a colleague or a teammate or a crew member of mine might be seeing something that I'm not, and if they're not encouraged to speak up, we could, that's life or death there because they might see something very critical that I'm not seeing because I'm either standing here I see something that they're not or they're seeing something I'm not. So uh, what you just said is inviting that uh, so everyone else will want to speak up and be willing to speak up at all times is critical for right. the uh, efficiency. So so as we we talk about leadership, Who you are and how that informs your leadership, but then also who they are, the ones that you are leading, but then also the context on on how all that kind of comes together. Can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah. So let's say there's a three-legged stool and, you know, visual thing and, you know, you have the leader, the follower and the context, you know, that's kind of the, the three legs of the stool. And um, you know, what you put on, on the stools um, is sturdier or not to the extent those things are, are playing together in a good way, right? So if the situation is very clear, then it might be very clear what to do. And the leader doesn't have all that much to have to add. They actually call it in the leadership literature a substitute for leadership. So if you have a very clear sense of this is how it all works and everybody's kind of on the same page, the leader doesn't have to like, okay, everybody listen up, you know, and everybody knows it and they can do check-ins and you you go off and do your thing. So the situation can be um, what this, uh, it was a personality psychologist, is personality psychologist called a a weak situation. Is where you walk into a very dangerous situation where you don't know the buildings, the conditions, um, what might be in there toxic, and you're going into a very kind of weak or uncertain situation. It's weak because there aren't there aren't strong signals like a sign saying, "Hey, there's yeah. toxic materials here. Don't come in here when there's a fire." And in a strong situation, it's very, very clear. The rules are very, very clear, right? Right. Most of us operate somewhere in between. Yes. And that's where the, the, the dynamic between the leader follower and the peers and the leader's leader, it all has to kind of work in some synchronicity in order to deal with the more extreme weak situation where you're, you're really trying to figure out something that, that no one there really knows the answer to, but you're trying to figure out what's the best way to approach this. That's the world that we've all entered into in the last, well, yeah. probably since the beginning of humanity, but in the last like several decades or since I've gone in, in my lifespan, the world has become in many senses weaker because more things happen more quickly and are changing. Sure. Right. Where we're seeing like, and we're uh, we're walking into a very weak situation called AI. AI is going to have a profound influence and is on many things, many great things from healthcare, medicine, discoveries to communication, and also the nefarious uses of it, where Mm -hmm. people use it to create, like a kid did, took you know the heads of the girls in his class and uh, they all think that he was a pretty good guy. He decided to put naked bodies uh, on, on them and embarrassed like a whole group of girls because he put it on the internet and people were like, wow, wow. look at this, you know, they it looked real to them and it became a big deal. And they were embarrassed by it. And, and so we're moving into the situation where we're industrializing space. Um, there's no doubt about it. there'll be you know Amazon will be up there already, <laughs> I, mean, I mean Starlink is there already up there right yeah. Cooper is this is is this project with satellites what is that gonna do to, to where we produce things um, what's gonna happen you know if the oceans continue to rise and the heat continue we have all these things and then we just went through a hundred year event called a pandemic mm-hmm. that was one of the best examples you ever would have of a weak situation Mm-hmm. because none of us honestly knew what to do unless we look back at the pictures of these you know spanish the early plagues during the early 1900s where well, they were wearing a mask
1: yeah right? because that's
0: the only thing they could do to protect themselves it was so uncertain that all we all did i'm sitting in an office that i'd locked myself in for almost two years And I was fortunate. I'm one of the more, I'm privileged. You know, I have, you know, my wife and I have a house. We can move around my daughter and her boyfriend lived here with us during that time. And, you know, we didn't see anybody. We just, Mm -hmm. we didn't know what was safe and unsafe. That's the world we're in. So that's the situation, one leg. And then the leader and the followers, well, we had a lot of dynamics around that. Not all the followers wanted to follow. Not all the leaders wanted to agree on what the, strategy was and we were we were figuring it out months and months right the same pandemic wasn't the same pandemic in Taiwan or in New Zealand yeah and the reason why is they unfortunately went through SARS we didn't we were very fortunate that we were able to get out ahead of that and because of that the New Zealand leadership uh, Jacindra, Jacinda Ardern and um, Cy, both women who were the leaders of those two countries and other countries that had gone through it, they had a protocol. They're like, okay, like we know this is, you know, this is what we got to do. There's some steps in their mortality rates were significantly lower. Um, And, you know, people could argue whether closing the economy, opening the economy, all that. But the leading and following in those countries was very different. Mm-hmm. in this country that we experienced uh, so the situation creates a, a, a set of pressure points for yeah. leader and follower and what happens is if the leader and followers don't trust each other yes, if they don't identify with the same thing if then unwilling at the very basic level to listen people suffer and I think that's what we went through now take that into organizations that have failed and it's the same thing like the situation changes, right? Yes. You know, you merge with another company and it's not working. And now all the dynamics between leaders and followers are all mucked up and you can't figure out like how to work the way you used to. Yeah. One has this approach, one has that approach. And it's the same thing. It's not a pandemic, but it's an uncertain situation.
1: I guess how important is, because we've talked a little bit, but not a lot on followership. We've talked to all kinds of leadership and, you know, some would say synonymous, you know, very different. But so with that being said, being that they're all interrelated, you know, you're talking about three legs of the stool, you got a situation yeah. or a circumstance, and you got the leadership and the followership, but all leaders, right, are also good followers, or at least at one point we're followers or hopefully right. still followers. So yeah. can you talk about that dynamic in terms of, Going back and forth with one another or the importance of being a follower during certain times, even though you're supposed to be the leader, if you will, of a group, just from that standpoint.
0: It's, it's a very, it's a complex thing because, you know, if you have a very inexperienced group of people, they have certain expectations that, you know, kind of the, the course that's going to get them out of this situation. That has a lot of merit, you know, like let's listen to the person who's done this before or knows these things. At the same time, that person should be shifting into a role where they are challenging themselves or, you know, what we we call, you know, this concept of red teaming. Okay, here's my idea. I present this idea. Now I want you to find out everything that's wrong with it. And so by doing that, you're going to help me see where the holes are and I can figure out, you know, what, what to fix. That's me as a leader saying, I want to go on the follow a role there. Now you are leading the conversation and I want you to take apart everything that could go wrong. What could go right, what can go wrong and everything in between. And in doing so, you're allowing that space going back to what we talked about earlier about voice, have a voice, share it. I may not agree, um, but do your best yeah. Um, and, we, you know, we will do an exercise in our, in our academy together where we actually have people bring a challenge. And they present it to, yeah. you know, four or five people in your program. And then they uh, will say, okay, now ask any questions you want. Listen. They have, like, seven minutes to tell you what the challenge is. Listen. Then you get 10 minutes or 15 minutes. You can ask any question you want. Clarifications. They'll respond to that. And then what we ask the person to do, who's the leader, is to physically turn around, and we say, "Listen, and don't don't look at the people." I'm using some more senior well, you know, leader that we'll pick for that role. Yeah, turn around and listen. And they're like, "Do I really have to turn around? You know, is this kindergarten?" What no, turn <laughs> around. You know, go like this. Put your head, your in know, head hard your hand, and make it look like you're listening. Really yeah. listening. And you know what happens? It's really amazing um, to me. It's called it, the process is called liberating structures. So, liberating structure is getting rid of that. Here's my my boss looking at me, thinking yeah. like what I'm asking. Because they're talking now about that person's problem. Yeah. Yep. And it's kind of interesting because that person. That, it's funny turning around. They fade to black. They just go away. Yeah. And the group starts to talk about them. We do this in Zoom or we do it in actually the physical room. And what happens is that this invariably, the person comes back and said, I've never heard so much in a meeting before. Why is that? Because I really had nothing else to do other than focus and listen to what was being said. Wow. You're right. I wasn't because you know, I'm watching you and all your yeah. nonverbals, your head shaking. And yeah, yeah. I just turn around, I don't have to worry about that. I just listen to what you have to say. Interesting. And the people say, we, that's right. We he was he or she was there. Yeah. But we weren't really focusing on that part. And when they come back, they debrief what they heard. And a lot of times, unlike most meetings and conversations, the people say that's kind of exactly what we talked about because you actually listened. So that's a mechanism for what we're talking about. Is if you're in a leadership role, President Kennedy. After the Bay of Pigs fiasco and went in there, he was advised by his military. He was a military guy, right, yeah, PT-109 yeah. um, in World War II. But he was advised, and he didn't get all the information he needed. People were giving him select information to support the things they wanted done. As a consequence of that, he did a couple of things. One is he always brought in people, and Roosevelt did this as well, FDR from the back door of the Oval Office after the people left and said, okay, here's what I just heard. You tell me what you think mm. to kind of check it. You know, it's not that they're lying. It's just that they have their own point of view. Yeah. And and so they would, you know, do that checking. And Kennedy would tell his executive assistant when he would go into the meetings before the Cuban Missile Crisis and during it that, um, I want you to pull me out at uh, 220, 20 minutes into the meeting, she'd knock on door, Mr. President, um, I need your your attention on something. And he would go out there and I guess have a cup of coffee. I don't know. You know, maybe he would call his friend for golf the next day. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But he would walk out of there and that would change the whole dynamic of the meeting. Because that is probably the highest status we have in this country. Because the president is an institution. We've seen how powerful that institution is. It's not the person as much. In fact, some people have said some presidents have diminished that power almost intentionally because yeah. it's so powerful. Wow. So, anyway, so, I think that's a you know a roundabout way, of kind of saying you know how do how do we get how do we make those three um, yes. legs of the stool kind of. Work in synchronicity, and sometimes you have to make these
1: adaptations. Yeah, no, that adaptations. I think that's uh, that's key to what you're saying. I mean, I wrote down a bunch of stuff here, and you talked about you know the leader, you know, yeah. presenting something, allow others to pick it apart, if you will, check yeah. it, communicate, and it's it's totally okay. I mean, it obviously takes a little bit of humility as well to say, you know what, can you can you check this for me? I'll I'll walk out of the room, look at it, pick it apart, give me your feedback. And so it's not just you know what I say goes, and this is my perspective only, and let's move forward. It's mm-hmm. um, I think that's that that that's that's huge. And uh, you mentioned this also. You mentioned this actually as a non-negotiable. You said every aspect of leadership is developed in some way, and we've had previous speakers talk about something is either designed intentionally or it's the way it is because it's by default. Yeah, and so that kind of goes to what you're saying is you could develop as leaders. So we've talked about this all the time is like, leaders are developed, they're not born. So can you talk about that? Sure. Leadership is developed. Yeah,
0: I, I roommated with a guy by the name of Donnie in uh, college and um, we all was the six guys would be sitting around, you know, doing what guys do, you know, uh, <laughs> playing cards or drinking or talking or uh, who you went out with on a date. All of a sudden, we'd stop and say, listen for a minute. Donnie's singing in the shower. And he had perfect pitch. Perfect pitch. Now, he didn't, he actually, um, I don't think he ever sung in, like, choir or anything, but he played some instruments, so he played music. But he had perfect pitch. And there's certain people that have perfect pitch, the right hearing, the right vocal cords, and it's just as perfect as you can get, like an Adele who yeah. they actually have recorded, I mean, she recorded a lot of music, but there's something about the, the level of her tone. That's almost hypnotic for people. Mm-hmm. And uh, That comes along and that's not something that probably was developed. It was something that was given, yes. right? So that's a given. Uh, Michael Jordan, apparently, you know, that famous picture of him flying above the basket. i still look at that going, how did you fly that far? <laughs> um, Apparently, his, if I get it right, his shins are, are, are longer than is typical for the structure of the legs and so forth, that he, and his stature. And it allows him to spring at a higher, um, at a higher height. Uh, that didn't come from probably drinking milk. And, you know, I mean, yes, it probably helped his bone maturation, but it would have grown up to that thing. Probably if he just drank water, I don't know. But right. those are given. However, you know, with with people like Michael Jordan, he had to practice a lot. You know, he said, "Look, I made, I failed more than I won." You know, it's kind yes. of famous quote. Yep. And when you meet people who are extraordinary, um, like a Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan, in sports, um, uh, it, it's just incredible you know how much they've worked through from the earliest ages so yes you can be given something but it's it's like saying if i give you a chunk of gold it's not going to make a, a beautiful necklace right? or a ring someone has to come along and spend a whole lot of time figuring out what that should look like and i think the same is true uh with leadership and its development that you have to have <clears throat> for certain types of roles You have to have a certain level of cognitive ability, and that there is a heritable anchor to that. It's not all heritable. Uh, A lot of it changes over time. That's my lifespan, going back to my lifespan class, that our crystallized intelligence grows over time. So you find that political scientists, historians, and other professions where you accumulate a lot of this knowledge allows you to continue to be more. Of a of a producer in your in your field, whereas in other fields, um, you find that there's a fluid intelligence, which is a bit more innate. And fluid intelligence is this sheer kind of brain power, whatever it is—the number of cells, the size of your brain, the way it processes things. Even that, we know we can change. Yeah, because when people get older, it's the fluid intelligence, normal aging, not not you know unhealthy aging, but you know, normal aging, let's, you know, the people can go to 90, 95 years old and still be relatively healthy and alert. And so the fluid intelligence um, tends to diminish, but and they thought there's no way you're able to reverse that. That's just what happens. Mm-hmm. And they have found that's not true. So, has you know, Paul Baltus out of the Max Planck Institute did research on. It. So having said all that, There's hardly anything that's not modifiable. When people have a stroke, they have found that they can actually change uh, back and get some other parts of the brain to accommodate and get back a lot of capacity. So we're we're somewhat overbuilt. We just don't leverage all of it unless we learn how to do that. And leadership and its development is leveraging how to take how smart you are Uh, and not beat people up with that. I love that. And allow people to be included or how controlling you are because you want everything to be absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. If you've ever worked with somebody who's an obsessive kind of controlling type person, it's the neatest place you can work in, but it's very specific to what they feel is right. Right, And that's a tough leader to work with. And to accommodate. So I work with a lot of tech people who are the best person in whatever tech field they're in. And now they've been asked to be a supervisor, project leader, or manager. And they have to figure out how to rail back. And, and just coming out of an MBA class with 70 MBAs, they're all in their 30s. This is their this is their revelation for many. Mm-hmm. I've been, you know, using my um, technical capacity assuming that's my leadership. And it's only a piece of it now. In fact, it, it's a less of a piece than the other things like negotiating and observing and listening and connecting yeah. and giving advice, supporting, you know, making people feel good when things don't go right, and giving people feedback when feedback's tough to give.
1: That's, uh, that's So basically to sum that up is uh, everyone has the capability of developing themselves as leaders, just how you fine tune it yourself whether it be intentionally yourself how you put others around you whether it be my mentors by courses that you take by you know how you put yourself in different surroundings but everyone has a capacity to be a strong leader i guess is that is that an accurate statement
0: it's a better statement than saying some are born and some are made and i'll tell you why because i've never um it took me a while in my life to realize to understand that don't ever, ever, ever underestimate what people can do mm. when they put their mind to doing something that everyone else thought they couldn't. You know, climbing up literally with no legs to the top of, you know, a Mount Everest. I mean, wor- working their way up just with their arms. And I've seen that guy and um, similar a woman who did something very similar. Uh, when I think about those things, I say, no one can do that stuff. I mean, yeah. You know, and then, uh, and they do it, and they do it, and I'm never, um, anymore, I'm always impressed, but I'm never surprised, because yeah, I love I think that. the human yeah. condition, yeah. the human condition is something not to be underestimated, I don't care what levels of intelligence, and, you know, I've seen so many people, I have a friend, you know, as a uh, grandson is yeah. very seriously um, deprived of the, the kind of intellectual cognitive capacities that a normal uh, kid would have had you know, born with, uh, the brain is very underdeveloped, and the physicians who who are wonderful and really it's a very rare like one of these orphan diseases, and in fact the, the specialists, some of the top specialists are at UW, and you know they said, oh, he's never going to be able to do this or do that. <laughs> I mean, I was watching him. He opened the garage door. He was pressing the button. He loved playing with the garage door going up and down. He could stop the garage door before it hit the ground. He learned that within a short amount of time. And I'm, yeah. when you say that to people, there's something called a self-fulfilling prophecy.
1: Yeah, right, right.
0: It's so powerful that a guy by the name of Dove Aiden, who's an Israeli psychologist, studied it his whole career and showed it again and again and again. If you if you believe in something, Mm -hmm. it's very likely you're gonna get closer to achieving that than if you don't. And that's believing yourself. Leaders steal that from people all
1: the time. You can't do this, or you won't be able to do that. And you're by psychologically speaking, by data, is you are making it less likely that you're making it more likely that you're right, they won't do that, versus maybe they can't do that, but. You know, instead of saying you can't do something, encourage your people. You can do that. You can do that. How can we get you there? Doesn't guarantee success by any right. means, but you're giving them a better opportunity, better chance, more probability that that person will achieve that. There uh, is, now, there is
0: actually empirical proof that there is more of a higher. There pay you pay
1: go. Pay. There, there you pay. go. There is proof, not just the state, proof, there but is there is proof. proof. There you go. So as leaders, I'm going to say that uh, and I'm going to just go, go with that it, as leaders. So I'm going to say this. Don't be surprised about the capabilities uh, and what you said of the human brain. But I guess as leaders, don't be surprised about the capabilities and capacities of the people that you work with or for. Because right. our goal as leaders is to bring people up, not find out what their limitations are. But let's let's raise their ceiling, if you will. Um, yeah. So fire services is one of the most trusted professions on Earth. Don't count on it continuing unless you transform and change. That is huge because in the fire service, one thing we, the thing we hate the most is change. And we also hate the way things are. And so I guess briefly you talked about bankers, you know, ask the bankers, physicians, lawyers, senators, what happened to them and their status when they did not evolve. So I guess in a few minutes time, can you talk about the importance of embracing change and transformation in the fire service or as leaders?
0: Well, let's let's stick. You know, I, I really feel privileged to work with the uh, with you all, um, and because I still believe in this trusted profession, I think most people still do. Um, as a, compared to the ones you mentioned, uh, and part of it is your other centered. So number one, if you have certain principles that if you move from. There's no chance the institution will survive at the level it does in terms of trust. It just won't happen. So being other-centered means, um, you know, in 9-11, I mentioned that was my first job in Nebraska. And um, I was talking to uh, the twin of the the commander who went up and the brother who was uh, outside. We asked him to leave the building the brother was actually in command of the building it's on. it's it actually uh, there's a pbs on there's a film that was produced this happened to have a crew there that weren't even supposed to be there following one brother and the other brother was in and you know when the, when the building was about to come down uh, the world trade center the one brother said get out now i want everybody out and he said okay uh, i love you and he turned off his um, his phone, walkie-talkie, whatever, whatever he was using for communication, and he went out. They, they know they know he went out in the building. That's really the ultimate other-centered, right? You know, the warrior ethos: don't leave a don't ever leave a civilian above you. And you know that that goes deep. Like when you have people that are willing to put everything on the line for you. And you know, I'll go back to sports. I think when a sports team recognizes, like a Michael Pinnock's, that, it, you know, Heisman Trophy, that's great, whatever trophy. If those linemen don't do what they do, then I, I get my butt kicked every single time. And when you realize all that happens because of all these other people doing what they're supposed to be doing, then you're that other center-oriented kind of leader. Mm. And it doesn't mean you can't initiate, can't direct, can't say it's time to go, we're doing this but it means you recognize that that then I don't think you ever lose the pulse and the basis of your, of your institution. It's also, you know, the people's houses you go into are different today. They're single parents, right? They're from other countries. They're from countries that if you walk in, I walk in as a male, it's very offensive, no matter what's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, trying to help somebody as an EMT and so forth. If you don't want to make those changes, then you're not that other centered uh, professional anymore where you're not really uh, considering the needs of the people that you're dealing with. I think that's the fundamental. So you have to have that principle. I'll just say uh, there's other principles I would say that would go along with fire services. Um, but the one principle, I mean, it's the peer-to-peer. It's the support. We're going in together. We're going to take this um, this task on. We know it's dangerous, but we're here together, and um, we've got the best we can do. Let's go do it. Yeah. Um, but the other centerness is a principle, a first principle, I think, for your profession. It is for the military, not all, um, but it is. And when it breaks down, we lose that institution. Yeah. Uh, we lost it in in, in finance, banking. Yeah. other areas. I mean, physicians still have it. Nurses certainly still have it. But even there, there's breaking like the uh, the traveling nurse versus the the, uh, the institutionalized nurse, right? Traveling nurse comes into town. There's a shortage. They get paid more, generally. Give them a car. Give them a place to rent. They go there for six months. Don't have to deal with politics. Move on to another place. Here you left the other nurses behind. So when nurses don't you know, one of my friends wrote a book um how nurses eat their young. They're doing it to themselves mm-hmm. because they're 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 in a left lower status position than physicians. So they they take on their their own selves, even though they are one of the most trusted professions as well. But because the, yeah. they're so other centered. In the end, a cranky nurse is better than a <laughs> a resident physician sure <laughs> you know why because I'm not saying all those I've had great care for, for um, yeah. both but it's because they are realizing that they have to be there for you that's other yeah. centered now go through the list of the top rated trusted uh, professions and they're all other centered
1: other centered so leadership challenge Bruce to continue the conversation we just asked to see if there's a other individuals out there that you believe would to have a message that you believe our fire service leaders and other, all of our listeners to tune into, to resonate with a message. Is there someone that you think would be willing to come talk on the kitchen table?
0: Oh, I have a long list of people that I really respect respect in this community. Um, I have them uh, come to my uh, MBA class uh, and the way we do is kind of like this. It's just dialogue, you know, you ask them to say, well, you know, here's what we'd like to do is spend an hour together. Uh, there's a lot of people from uh you know different uh industries, airline industry, um, healthcare, uh, insurance realty. I mean, there's a lot of people that um I guess we've worked hard to select what we call an authentic leader. Uh-huh. And we're 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 really pretty blessed with the people we have on our board and about a month or so ago, I had them all together and they all seemed to enjoy each other. So I thought, oh, we probably did a good job of picking these people because they see it in each other. Yeah. So there's a group of people there and and more, and more, there's more than that, right? Than um, yes, yes. Th- That we can utilize. Um, I'm still reflecting a lot about what uh, Mayor Harrell has uh, talked about. When yes. came, I reflect a lot about that and I have a lot of hope that i'll just call him the other bruce although i won't call him mayor harold because of the respect i hope to have and do have but i was i've reflected quite a lot about you know um his discussion about where courage came from for him yeah for me you know, uh, i have a similar story my mother was everything you know in terms of um what i am as a as a as a kid growing up now mm-hmm. a lot of other people are affected but you know she was everything um and I think when you have that foundation, uh, it's real important. So I, those kind of people I want to bring in, right? I had good mothers. And I want to bring uh, Ben. Let's bring Ben Minacucci in. He's the current CEO. Oh, that's
1: right of Alaska. That's right. Alaska. That's right. Yeah. I was uh, fortunate to be in the town hall, virtual town hall, you're, you're a couple of years ago, yeah. and yeah, he gave that message. Uh, I would bring.
0: I would bring Ben, and I think uh, Brent, Ben is evolving. Um, Ben comes from kind of a first generation, you know, my father's side, my father came from Italy and we're kind of similar. He's a first generation, uh, growing up in the U S, um, Italian immigrant parents, um, and look where he is, I mean, yeah. look where, where he's accomplished and he keeps changing, you know, he's trying to really change how he does things, what he does. And he's an engineer and engin- by the way, engineers are really trusted too. generally. Yeah. Yes because of the covenant they have uh, on to build things that are safe. Um, But I I would say someone like him, uh, a a terrific, there there are many, you know, uh, Kathy Lynch is the former CEO of Bartels. uh, I really love working with her and bringing her in. She just came into my class. She's got a very um, long history and perspective on women in, corporate America and the challenges she faced growing up. Now she's kind of in her, you know, twilight of her career. And um, there's a lot of things that she had to deal with. And she came out, you know, a, an amazing person.
1: Thank you, uh, Bruce. And uh, what we'll do is uh, I'll, I'll gather contact information. We'll reach out to see if uh, everyone, you know, these individuals I would imagine are busy. So we'll see what we can capture. And uh, and I'm going to throw this out there too. There's so much we had left to unpack today, but maybe we can host uh, Bruce Avolio again in a future episode. Maybe tag team. Maybe uh, your 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 staff, you your your students, or even yourself with Ben or one of these other individuals that come in to continue to have this conversation around leadership. And you've heard me say this before, Bruce. And I, I neglected to mention this, and I'll say it right here. You mentioned earlier about the connections or relationships. This podcast exists because of that. And you know, you've heard me say this. I told Christina, the same thing. Our initial uh, listener group was the Emerging Leaders Academy. Those initial 30 to 40 people. And uh, you guys gave me permission. You and Christina gave me permission to, you know, gather those contact info to help us continue that conversation. So this only exists because of what you said, the collaboration, working together, building relationships. And you said in, in the book, no people. So we will continue this conversation uh, with yep. yourself, I hope we'll continue into January at the next ELA get together. Thank you, Bruce, for your time today. I'll say this, lasting leadership thoughts before we close the kitchen table today.
0: A lasting leadership thought, um, you know, Yogi Berra said it ain't over till it's over. So um, I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, that you, you don't give up, you keep pushing forward and you make sure you maximize all the smart thing people around you that know things to me that's the most important thing and it usually gets you to where you want to be
1: that's perfect thank you bruce and uh thank you everybody for tuning in today to the kitchen table we truly hope you found this time valuable and we hope that we've inspired you to take action to lead and to spread the leadership conversation until next time be safe be intentional and stay curious